and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you are doing amazing and prioritizing yourself. Self-care is a must, always, but especially during our situation. I'm from the States, and the pandemic is getting worse and worse. I'm going to school in person two days a week, the other three days being remote, but I'm pretty sure we'll be fully remote soon. My teachers have started to, like, give us books and long-term packets and say things like, take everything home every day. So, I mean, yeah. Like, obviously, they're making precautions, but I really think we'll be home soon. It just makes me sad because it makes things so much harder. But, of course, safety comes first, always. However, I am so, so excited for today's episode. We are on episode 2 of the STEM series, Women in Technology. Some amazing interviews are coming up featuring Dr. Nama, founder of a Gen Z app called Girl Intelligence, Lola, a TV host and speaker who works in cyber communications, and Shruti, who works with self-driving or partially self-driving cars. She's all about researching how they work, and she actually gets to work with a simulation of how they'd be on the road. I heard the coolest stories and advice from these ladies about everything from not being alone in things to self-confidence. Honestly, such girl bosses. I know I say this all the time, but oh my gosh, it is so true. Such a fun time having low-key conversations with them, hearing about their expertise and experience, and I'm going to share their advice with y'all. This is also really random, but I'm sitting here with a blanket just talking to you guys podcasting is amazing. If you are thinking to yourself, oh, she might be right, I am because it's so casual. And if you want to make one for yourself and need any help whatsoever, take me up on the offer. Seriously, I'd be more than happy to help you out. As always, I'm your host, Shyla, and this pod is all about breaking down issues, spreading self-love and inspiration, and featuring queens from anywhere and everywhere. Before I start talking about women in tech, as always, I have a couple stories to tell about the best and worst of my week. For my best, I did a PowerPoint night with my friends, and literally so good. If you don't know, it's basically this trend on TikTok where everyone makes a PowerPoint on the most random topics. I actually don't have TikTok. I feel like I would be obsessed in the first five minutes of having it. Anyways, circling back to what I was saying, I know my friend did, which Grey's Anatomy character everyone in the group would be. I was April. And then there were presentations like Ways We Die in a Horror Movie, stuff like that. Honestly, some were so funny. Like, I almost peed and died on the floor laughing. We did it all outside at night, and my friend brought her TV out, and we presented on that. Honestly, highly, highly recommend it, because it was such a great social distanced hangout idea. See, normally, on the East Coast, we'd all be dying outside in November, but for some reason, that weekend was really abnormally hot, like in the 70s. If you're used to being somewhere with really nice weather, that's really warm for where I live. One of the reasons it sucks that cases are increasing is that once late November, December hits, there will be snow on the ground, it will be 20 degrees out. With the virus, nobody loves the idea of being inside, so it'll be really difficult to see my friends. 
Anyways, it was so, so fun. Highly recommend. I was thinking about my worst, and it isn't that bad. Okay, so imagine we are back in April or something, and I am bored out of my mind. If you haven't heard of Duolingo, it's this language learning app. Pasme decides to start learning French. I mean, like, why not? So every day I do a lesson or two. They only take like five minutes. Uh, through the summer, through September, through October. I kept a streak for 200 something days. Like, I've kept it ever since quarantine. And a couple of days ago, I just lost it and kinda annoyed. Now the app is just sitting on my phone and I've lost all motivation. I will end up restarting, maybe. Okay, we'll see. As usual, I have a quote to tell y'all, and this one's by Cheryl Sandberg. In the future, there will be no female leaders, there will just be leaders. One day, women in leadership positions will be normalized. I know that the US election set a really empowering precedent, but you know, people were shocked when it should be considered normal. Different countries are on different steps and taking different paths, but at some point, we won't have to say female coders or female biologists. There will only be coders and biologists. I think it's really all about when we can make that happen. I promise that we'll get right into the interviews, but I wanted to quickly chat a little bit about the numbers. I jotted a few things down, one of them being that less than 10% of startups in the world are owned by women. Dr. Nama is actually one of those women, though. I can't wait for you to hear from her. Going back in the past, Ada Lovelace actually was the first computer programmer, which I think is really neat. Also, I forgot to mention, you know, the quote I discussed earlier. Cheryl Sandberg, the lady that said those words, is actually the chief operation officer of Facebook. What a queen, such a role model. At the end of the day, though, the numbers say that around a quarter of the tech field is made up of women, and the percentages actually may be decreasing. This could be because of so, so many reasons, like toxic work environments, um, more stories on that from the guests, being outnumbered, overlooked, underpaid. Honestly, there's a ton of reasons it could be happening. You could also blame the whole image of what a hacker should be. I think of hackers as these men with black hoodies sitting in their basement with a bag of chips. I have no idea why. Maybe just from movies? I have no clue. But I've been starting to see female-led hackathons with women and girls being encouraged to program and code. And of course, hearing from women in tech can be so influential. You can actually envision your own path in tech, especially if you're really interested. Okay, that's it for now. I would love to introduce the women I spoke with for today's episode. The first guest I had on for Women in Tech is Nama. You may have caught her takeover on the Instagram at We're All Queens Pod, where I've actually been having one of my guests for each episode in STEM have a takeover on the account. If you follow it, you'll know that Dr. Nama founded an app called Girl Intelligence. She is an all-around girl boss. While I was interviewing her, I hadn't gotten the app, but since then, I've been able to check it out, and I have so much high praise for it. The graphics, the content, everything about it is really well done. Dr. Nama shared stories about work, about her app, about her childhood, about her children. 
I think the highlight of my chat with her was her advice. She actually was a psychiatrist, so she's guided people for a long time. It's a part of who she is. Dr. Nama is amazing, and I'm so, so happy that I reached out to her. Hi, Dr. Nama. How are you? Hi. It's good to be here. I'm, yeah. I'm doing very well. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we start by you introducing yourself, telling me a little bit about your interests, what you've been doing during the virus, stuff like that. Yeah, my name is Nama. I'm the founder of Gertelligence, which is an app for teen girls and young women. And I'm also a medical doctor. I was trained in child and adolescent psychiatry at Stanford University. And I work there as a brain researcher as well. So I've done two training programs at Stanford. One was a research training program in neuroscience, and one was a clinical training program in child and adolescent psychiatry. And then most of my time there, I worked with children and adolescents doing brain research, so kind of like understanding what's going on in the brain in different disorders and also in typical development. Yeah, in quarantine, it's been, so we, I'm in California and it's been probably more strict than many other places. So we've been restricted some way or another since March. My work on intelligence has always been from home, so that hasn't changed. But so much has happened on the app, and we've done so many changes to accommodate the quarantine and accommodate with the needs of girls on the app. We also recruited an advisory board, a leadership team of teens and, and college students. This happened during quarantine, which was amazing. And then, you know, just being home, I have three kids, and we're all home. We're all Zoom, <laughs> Zooming. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's awesome. So you live in California, right? My aunt and uncle met at Stanford, so they live probably close to you are. I know you were a former researcher. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how you got into psychiatry? I always loved psychology and psychiatry. Growing up, when I was in third grade, I was in the Girl Scouts, which is a little different because I was in Israel, so we don't really, actually we don't have Girl Scouts, we have Scouts, which is co-ed. But um, in one of our meetings, our guide introduced us to this book about this kid going to therapy. I don't know how many kids would be fascinated by this book, because it's literally his therapy sessions. <laughs> And I, I loved it so much. I read it again and again and again. It was like disintegrating in my hands. It was falling apart. I just loved it. And I just really, really loved the idea of therapy and kind of talking to people and helping them that way. So that's how I, I guess I started in psychiatry. And then I really loved science in school. So I decided to go to medicine. And I actually, when I started medical school, I wasn't sure I was going to go to psychiatry. I wanted to be a pediatrician. And I was actually accepted to pediatric residency when I decided to go to to child and adolescent psychiatry. It was always about children and adolescents. I never wanted to be an adult psychiatrist, actually. <laughs> I've always wanted to work with children and adolescents. So it was between child and adolescent psychiatry and pediatrics. Okay, so I love children. I actually have been like considering becoming a pediatrician. I think it's so cool. And just yeah. like with kids in general. Have you ever felt the gender imbalance in any STEM field, whether it was early in your life, during your educational career, or while you were developing your app? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that's definitely always there. And I think it starts very, very early, even today. I think there's so much more awareness today than there was when I was growing up. But, you know, the toys are different between girls and boys. You know how, I don't know if you remember going to Toys R Us when you were little, they closed. But if you go to Toys R Us, you see the pink aisle, <laughs> the pink aisle. <laughs> and you see the other aisles that have the building toys and the programming kits, you know, little science kits. 
those are not in the pink aisles, right? The pink aisles are dress up and dolls and kitchens, which are awesome. I love, always love dolls and always love play kitchens and, you know, the tea sets and that's awesome. But I think, you know, it's so important to encourage girls from day one to be interested in everything. And also for boys, it's the same. There are no dolls in the boy aisle, in the like non-pink aisles, right? If you want to get a doll for your sons, which I did, <laughs> my sons had all the toys, <laughs> all the all the girl toys too. So we would go, you know, we had to go to the pink aisle and pick the babies and the bottles, the dolls. I always thought that was really, really weird <laughs> that we had to, why not make just dolls <laughs> for everyone and building kits for everyone because we all have the potential of being everything. So I think it starts very, very early, that kind of message that people get, like what you are expected to be, what are you expected to be interested in. And I also saw this research that's really interesting and I also saw it in real life that when parents take their children to the playground, they're way more cautious with their girls. So the girls, when they try to climb a structure, parents are much more likely, they actually did research about this, much more likely to say, oh, honey, be careful there. You know, maybe you don't want to go so high. Maybe you don't want to, much more protective of the girls. And of course, safety first. Everybody needs to be safe, <laughs> of course. But we need to, you know, let girls play the way they want to play because this sends a message like, oh, you could get hurt. Like you need to be cautious. And this translates to everything else in life later on. Yeah, and for me, obviously, I have so many stories It'll take hours. One day, maybe I'll write a novel about this. So many things. Early on in school, you know, and also at work. And I think it gets actually worse the higher up you go because the world has kind of accepted that women are in med schools, you know, that's normalized. So we got through that. But it's not so normalized that they are climbing up in academia and they're climbing up in medicine. Of course, a lot of us are already and it's becoming more and more common, but it's not, it's, it's still people are like, oh, something's wrong with this picture. So for instance, I can tell you that, so I was an expert in this imaging method called diffusion tensor imaging, and it's a brain imaging MRI method. I was one of the first ones to start using it in analysis and psychiatry. I published a lot. So when I would go to meetings with my research assistant, who was 25-year-old male, people would know, like people would read my papers, like they would know <laughs> that I'm doing this work. But when we would sit at the table, when they had a technical question, they would ask him, like he didn't know much about it. <laughs> like he was, but he was male. And of course he was, you know, he was my research assistant and he was awesome. So he would just look at them and say, the expert is sitting right next to me. <laughs> like, why are you asking me? And it's just an automatic thing to assume that, that the guy would be more knowledgeable about the technical issues. So things like that. But there are like a million other examples. So for most of my career, this is something I want to see how I can help girls deal with these situations. Through most of my life, I was like, this is fine. I'm just ignoring this. And I remember telling this to my supervisor in child and psychiatry. I was like, I get all these negative feedback from people, uh, even, even non-verbally. Like, what are you doing here? Or you can't possibly be doing anything serious. And I just ignore it. I just brush it off and I just keep doing my work. Like I keep my head down and I keep doing my work. It's not true. You cannot brush it off 100%. It grates on you. It has an effect on you. So kind of knowing to realize if you're getting critique, when it's actually justified, you can do better. Like you can do more work. You can fix things or when you, when you can actually improve. And when it is not about you, when it is about misogyny, try and recognize that and fight it. When it is misogyny, accept it when it's valid criticism and fight it when it's misogyny. So, so hard to do. Absolutely. 
Yes, um, circling back to the pink aisles and everything like that. My fourth episode was all about breaking gender norms. And Mm -hmm. I was telling my listeners about how my little cousin went through like this whole phase of being obsessed with dinosaurs. So she would like want dinosaur dresses and they had none. Mm -hmm. And my aunt had to like go to the boys section and she found like a bunch of dinosaur clothing. So I guess it's very integrated into our whole society societal system. Yeah. yeah. And there is a movement about that. I have a friend who has girls and, and they loved dinosaurs. You can, because we have the internet these days, so you can find, you know, some boutique somewhere, some mom probably who's making those shirts. But if you have a boy, like, you know, it's everywhere. Like mm-hmm. right. The rocket ships, the science stuff on shirts, the future president or whatever, <laughs> all those things are uh, definitely more in the boy aisles. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. So I guess this is kind of what we were talking about a little bit. What motivated you to create Girl Intelligence, which if you guys don't know, it's the app Dr. Nama created. And what were the ideas, the inspiration and goals behind it? Yeah, I was always very passionate about women empowerment and girl empowerment. And having my girl tribe around me has always been super important to me and like had a credible effect on my life. Always having my girlfriends around, always having people to support me. And if you look at the research for women, especially, you don't have to have many friends, but having a supportive girl environment is super, super important for our mental health and our physical health. It just affects our body. It releases hormones that make us healthier and happier. and just improves our well-being, our mental health, and everything. It's just really, really striking. There's actually research about serious diseases like breast cancer. For women who were diagnosed with breast cancer, the ones who had supportive girlfriends survived better. No matter their age, you know, what kind of cancer they had, the most important factor was if they had the supportive system of friends, of girlfriends, which is kind of mind-boggling, actually, when you think about it. So for me, that was always super important. And also thinking about how we all go through similar things in life. So amplifying the voices of women supporting women, having access to thousands of girls who can help you with whatever it is you're going through. I thought that was like super, super important. So I know for me at work and in life, like I always have these friends who just have the best advice. You know, and it's not always the same friend, like not all of us had the same experiences, but having thousands of girls around you, thousands of women who can help you and support you is just so empowering and I think would really, really help us advance women in general and uh, help us overcome gender inequality faster when we empower each other, when we give each other advice. Like your intelligence is not just about problems and advice. It's a huge part of it for sure. But it's also about just hanging out with the girls and talking about anything. You know, lighthearted topics like, you know, what are you watching right now? What's your favorite makeup? What are you reading? Or what did you do this Halloween? You know, which is weird and different. And like talking about just everything and developing those connections virtually. I think that now that we have the internet, we can use it for good. You can use it for empowering girls and supporting each other. That sounds absolutely incredible. Dr. Nama's app is free and it's in the app store, really easy to access. So definitely download it. It's amazing. Um, What opportunities have been given to girls now as opposed to when you were in school? Like, how do you think we've evolved to be more inclusive over time? We are, we're definitely making progress uh, in terms of including girls and what we think girls can do. And a lot of it is having role models, like you said. You know how they say, if you can't see it, you can't be it. It's a cliche, but it's so, so true, though. 
you know, growing up, I didn't have anyone to look up to in terms of like what I wanted to do. And it makes such a difference when you don't have anyone to emulate. We want to find a way to be effective leaders as women. And I think it's still hard, actually, but it is getting easier. I think the internet has opened so many possibilities. So when I was in high school, there was no internet. So we didn't have any of that. What you're doing, you know, having a podcast and just investigating things you're interested in and giving it a voice is something we couldn't do. I remember this just came back to me. I remember I used to take the bus to school and the bus drivers were always men. Okay. The bus is a man, right? And I remember this one time, the bus driver was a woman and the entire bus was making fun of her and laughing at her. And she was crying. Oh, really? Yes, I remember this. And I was like, oh my God, they're making fun of this woman because she's driving? She's driving <laughs> a bus. I was just horrified by this. I think I was about your age. Yeah. I think it was, it was the beginning of high school. And um, I was just horrified, horrified by this, that this is like still a taboo for a woman to drive. I mean, it was not, it was not. Like when I was, I'm not that old. That old. <laughs> you know, well, actually when my mom was younger, when she was young, it was kind of like, ah, women driving, yeah, you know, it's kind of, I mean, most women did drive eventually, but it was kind of weird, like, you know. But when I was growing up, it wasn't weird. It was always expected for me to drive, <laughs> you know. But it was still weird to see a woman in a male-dominated field just driving a bus. So that's one thing that I think we've overcome. You know, nobody thinks that's weird anymore. I think the internet had such an important role in sending out those messages. The internet has given us more voice and also more opportunity to showcase the women who did things in history or doing things now. So that's a huge difference. You can learn a skill online now, which we couldn't. I mean, it's a revolution. It's just a different world. But if you look at statistics, people have projected when are we going to reach gender equality? And the analysis is that it's going to take us 208 years at the rate we're going. That is not acceptable. <laughs> we need to do our best to make it shorter than that. Yes, definitely. That's Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. Um, is there anything you'd want to say to anyone listening? Any words of advice? One thing is not to go at it alone. And that's something I've learned the hard way. When you're going through something difficult, or even when you have a question, or when you suspect that you're not being treated well, our first response, our first reaction is to bottle it up and just deal with it on our own. We could be ashamed maybe that we're feeling this way. So if you're the only girl in AP physics, or if you're the only girl in computer science class, you're like, I can do this, you know, I can suck it up. Or I'll just leave because I'm feeling uncomfortable. The best thing to do is connect with other girls in your situation, either around you in real life or on Gertelligence or anywhere else. Get the advice of other people and just have other people help you normalize it because you're not the only girl that is the only girl in AP physics and you're not the only girl who's the only girl in computer science class. Whatever it is you're going through, other girls have gone through it before. And having your voice heard, getting advice from them of what they wish they did or what they did is so empowering and will help you get over anything. <laughs> you're going through. Another thing that people are still talking about, and I just can't believe it, people still say, you know, we, there, there was a scandal at Harvard a few years ago. There was a scandal at Google a few years ago that people say women are underrepresented in sciences and technology because A, they are, they're just not good enough. They're just not capable. Or B, they don't want to go there. <laughs> This just makes me mad every time because women are capable of anything. And the research has shown that again and again, even from my experience, which is not scientific evidence, but I've never felt inferior to men. I've never felt like I was not capable of doing anything. Um, and I was always surrounded in my work and in school by amazing women, brilliant women. I mean, come on. 
that's just not true. So if you hear that, um, ignore it, talk about it. Don't internalize it. Don't accept it. Don't think it's true. That's like so, so, so important. Oh yeah, the not wanting. <laughs> and it's just so interesting because I saw on Instagram, actually, I found this post. I'm going to repost it about the suffragettes getting women to vote, which happened a hundred years ago. The same propaganda was going on then. It said the same things. Women just are not capable of making their own decision. Or, you know, why have two decisions when, you, when a man can decide for the woman, you know, in a household? And they also said women really don't care and don't want to vote. They said the same thing. And now they said, oh, women don't care and don't want to do science and technology. So first of all, we get to decide what we care about <laughs> and what we want to do. That is not a valid argument. <laughs> there is this incredible quote, and I'm not going to do it justice, by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We're not asking for preferential treatment. Like, I never wanted preferential treatment as a woman. We're only asking for you to get your foot off of our necks. That's amazing. Yes. Uh, the first episode of my podcast was actually on a hundred years of women's suffrage. Mm -hmm. So RBG was such a queen. Yeah, I loved what you said about all that. It's been an honor speaking with like such a powerful woman who has created an app that's incredible. And yeah, it's been lovely speaking with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I hope you loved hearing from her. I know that I definitely took something away from that conversation. Lola's the next woman that I talked with. She is the coolest. Her Instagram is at the Nigerian Techie. I will write everyone's handles in the episode description. Lola's a TV speaker, a panelist, does some modeling, does some traveling, and works in cybersecurity or cyber communications. She is a huge advocate for women of color in STEM and in tech, and I loved adding her amazing perspective to the episode. Hey Lola, I'm so happy to be chatting with you today. If y'all don't know, Lola is actually a TV host, so she's used to this kind of stuff. <laughs> I would love it if you introduced yourself and talked about what you've been up to. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, so yeah, I am a freelance TV host. I do have a background in communications, but for my day job, I actually work in cybersecurity. I'm a cybersecurity training and communications lead at a tech company in Silicon Valley. So it's kind of great for me to combine, you know, communications skills and um, my technology knowledge as well. That's amazing. Yeah, so you work in cybersecurity. Um, could you explain yes. to me what that means and your role in making a company successful? Yeah. So as a cybersecurity training um, and communications lead, my job is mainly focused on cybersecurity awareness. So um, it's focused on cybersecurity awareness externally and internally. Externally, doing, you know, great opportunities and events like this, where, you know, I'm able to tell people how to keep their devices secure and what to look for so they're not scammed or they're not fished by cyber criminals. And then internally, I manage the phishing programs that we roll out every um, two weeks. And then also any cybersecurity educational training courses that we are actually regulated to roll out to our employees. Yeah, that sounds like such a cool job. And then you also, as I mentioned, host or like co-host a show, right? Uh, could I hear more about that? Yeah, so as a freelance TV host, it's just 
um, it's not really one particular show. It's just other opportunities that I'm kind of involved in or if I get called to be a part of. So um, one of them, I was a co-host for Mina TV and we talked about politics and current events and um, a lot of issues as it relates to Africa and African diaspora because it's a Nigerian-based company and a Nigerian-based show. And then another cool opportunity I was a part of was a video host for Cybercrime Magazine. So once again, that was just a great opportunity to combine my communication skills and my technology and cybersecurity knowledge. I got to interview um, cybersecurity CEOs and a lot of C-suite executives that um, are in business and technology and then ask them how cybersecurity affects their specific organizations. Oh, okay. That's really awesome. (laughs) Thank you. As a woman of color in the tech industry, have you ever had any experiences or obstacles related to that? You know, that's such a great question. Um, Yeah, definitely. For almost 10 years that I've been working in the technology field, I'm almost always the only Black woman on my team. So currently at the company I work at, I'm the only Black woman, previous companies as well. So I've really learned to speak up for myself, to make sure my perspectives and viewpoints are heard in meetings, um, and also to make sure that there's no discrimination or bias, because whenever you're kind of the only one in the room who are the representative. It shouldn't really be that way, but you are the representative, you know, for um, whatever group that is um, your minority. So that's just kind of how I've been able to navigate being a woman of color working in tech and also my advice to other women of color working in tech. Yes, it's very, very important. You do a lot of uh, speaking and paneling and stuff like that, right, to encourage others women of color and women in tech yeah um whenever i get asked to and i really do like you know helping other women of color or people who are just generally interested in entering the tech industry i think it's a great industry and sometimes if you don't have a background in it you think oh i don't know if i'll be able to you know enter but um yeah i've been involved in quite a few panels where people can you know ask questions um if they're interested in transitioning into a career in cyber security. Um, And then also doing stuff like this, like I mentioned before, you know, podcasts, um, video presentations, where once again, I'm just educating people on not only cybersecurity, best practices, but also um, giving them advice um, on working in tech. Well, I love that. Yeah. Why do you think it's important to have diverse role models in these types of fields? You know, I think it's important to have diverse role models in any field because then you get different perspectives and different viewpoints, whether it's on a project or whether it's on policies. Whenever you only have one viewpoint working on technologies, policies, or even projects, the other people's viewpoints are not going to be heard. And, you know, we live in such a diverse world, so it kind of just is logical that everyone's viewpoint is heard, especially when policies are being passed, you know, as it comes to government or to technology is um, being created. Everyone uses technology in their day-to-day life. So it's really important to consider different, um, you know, socioeconomic status or people's different backgrounds and cultures whenever you create these various technologies. Right, right. Yes, lots of great points. 
But yeah, that's all I have. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, and I really hope to um, connect with some of your listeners and they can always reach out to me on either LinkedIn or social media. Um, I'm the Nigerian techie, so that's my handle. Yes, yeah. And I'm sure this interview resonated with a lot of my listeners. So thank you so much. Lola is incredible. Definitely check her out. I talked with Shruti on um, Friday before my dance class, and we loved chatting with one another. She actually studied the same dance form as me, which is really neat because it's a type of Indian classical dance, and usually I don't have many people to relate. She has the coolest job. She works with cars that can drive themselves for periods of time, otherwise known as autonomous vehicles. If you are a car person or if you like thinking about future tech or want to hear more about it, you'll adore our talk. I'm not a car person just because I can never keep track of all the kinds of cars and what they look like. Do not ask me the difference between a Ford and an Acura. I will not be able to tell you. What I was saying is that you'll hear her talk about an experiment with a driving simulator to study what she calls situation awareness. The drivers would do something non-driving related, like going on their phone, while the car drove itself. She puts a lot of research into the pros and cons of these cars, the morals and ethics, everything you can think of. She's so smart, but honestly, just so fun to talk to. I love her, I love her blog, go show her some love, and I loved our conversation. How's your day been going? My day's going good. How are you? Good. Yeah, we were talking a bit, right? And I realized that we have so much in common. We both um, study the same classical Indian dance form, which is really cool. And I know a little bit about you, but why don't we start by you telling everyone else a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, hi, everyone. (laughs) My name is Shruti. I am a PhD student in the Human Factors Program at Michigan Tech up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, I'm from Mumbai, India, and I've been in the U.S. for five years now. I've been in the Autonomous Vehicles Human Interaction Studies for about two years, and that's about it, I guess. Yeah, that's so awesome. We'll talk a little bit more about autonomous vehicles later, but I wanted to ask how you got into technology. How did you get interested? So I have my bachelor's in biomedical engineering, and my motivation behind that was to help humankind. I always wanted to build something that could benefit the society at large and got my bachelor's in biomedical engineering, came to the U.S. for my master's. I have a master's in health informatics and my research was in mental health and physical health illnesses. That's where I picked up on the whole human factors usability component of it. That was something that really resonated with me and building technology that is better for humans and making stuff that is easy to use, I guess, is mostly been at the core of what I want to do. And that's how I ended up in human factors. So with respect to autonomous vehicles, I study human interaction, specifically human attention, situational awareness when people are driving and distractions. 
So yeah, autonomous vehicles, that can be a complex word at first glance. So can you maybe break down as to what research on these vehicles mean, what you do? So what I essentially do is I have a driving simulator that I employ. Michigan Tech is one of the snowiest campuses and it's hard to have studies that are on road, right? So we have a driving simulator that I get to use, which mimics the real world environment. I guess I should start with what autonomous vehicles is, right? <laughs> autonomous vehicles essentially is uh, vehicles that can drive themselves for a certain period of time. They could be self-driving, but they are not necessarily self-driving. So if you're driving on a highway, these autonomous vehicles can take over part of the driving for you. So drivers don't feel fatigued or they don't feel drained out from the driving task. Uh, so it's the whole idea is essentially to give drivers a break from driving, but also to prevent human errors and accidents due to human errors. So the whole context behind having autonomous vehicles on road is saving lives. Because I don't get to do on-road studies, I work in a lab. We have a driving simulator and I get to simulate real world settings and study uh, situational awareness and human attention. I use eye tracking to see how people's eyes move, like what eye movements they have, distraction stuff, etc. That's awesome. It's so funny. We were talking a little bit. I did a podcast project in school last year, and I chose to dive into the topic of self-driving cars or, you know, partially autonomous vehicles. And that's probably one of the reasons why you really stood out to me. Can you discuss some of the pros and some of the cons of these vehicles? Let me start with cons. First and foremost, I guess what people need to understand is that we do not have a fully autonomous vehicle on road right now. The road to autonomy is probably going to be 25 to 50 years down the line. We have partially automated vehicles available, Teslas, Cadillac Super Cruise. There are multiple features that take over the driving task. However, what people don't realize is that they still need to be attentive, like they still need to be involved in the driving task. However, the role is switching from actual driving to paying attention to the road. So it's switching from driving to supervising. And what's going on is that once people give away control to automation, pick up your phone and start surfing the web, checking social media, things like that. Gaming. There was a Mountain View, California crash that happened two years ago. The case was just closed last year, I think, by the National Transportation Board. And the driver, an Apple engineer, a very well-educated person, was playing on their phone while the car was driving itself. Teslas are not designed to drive themselves. And they met into an accident. There were a few other vehicles on the road that were involved in the accident. And I guess that's one of the biggest cons that people need to realize the limitations of the technology and stay within the bounds of what it can do. With respect to pros, I feel like if used the right way, it has tremendous potential to save human lives it can reduce the number of accidents by more than half every year. And majority of the accidents are caused by drowsy driver, alcohol-based driving, or human error, right? Something happened, someone didn't see something coming. So the most important thing is that once these vehicles roll out, it's going to take that whole human error out of the equation. And you have something that's going to make people more safe. Okay, so can autonomous vehicles sense their surroundings to some extent? Or how exactly would it um, help save lives? 
So the current state of AIs that are employed in autonomous vehicles is they are pretty good at sensing things. Uh, however, it comes down to ethics and policies, right? We do not have any policies in place right now for autonomous vehicles. Also, with respect to designing roadways, right? How do people feel sharing a road with autonomous vehicles? Like, do you need to have a separate section of the highway dedicated to AVs? Or how would someone react if you see a car passing by where the driver does not have the hands on the wheel? Would that cause panic? With respect to ethics, if a car is driving itself, stumbles onto something where it has a choice whether to kill an old person or kill a child, who would you save? Do we really have the right to decide who to save? So there are like ethics, policy, and I guess roadway infrastructure to some extent. So actually, I went to a camp. I think it was a technology camp or I think we were making robots. And We watched a clip of a movie being that a robot had the choice to save a child or a dad. Basically, they were in a car that was in the water. The car was sinking and the parent was saved and he had a very high chance of surviving compared to the child. Mm -hmm. And I was like really moved because it is true. Technology doesn't have the ethics um, component when you think about it that way. Right. Ethics, morality, how do we make those choices, right? That is something that humans are good at Mm -hmm. because of the experiences they have. Perception, human perception is different from an AI's perception of things. So, Yeah, no, that's awesome. So I have one last question. Why do you think it's so important to have women in tech to encourage women diverse role models? Why do you think so? I believe that women bring a different perspective to technology. Uh, I say that because of my own experiences, my advisor is a woman and the experiences that I've had working with her, the way she thinks, the way I feel like it's all inclusive and I feel like women bring more inclusivity to the table. And I feel like that is why it's important to have women in tech. So from a usability standpoint, I feel like I attended a talk yesterday, which was on uh, why does Siri sound white? And what I learned from that seminar was that technology is mostly designed by white men, keeping white men in mind, which causes an issue of it not being accessible to different portions of the population. Women are as tech savvy as men are, and we need to create products, we need to create technology that is more inclusive of women. And the way we can create this is by including women in the process of generating or making this technology. And that is why I feel like having a woman's perspective in tech is so important for accessibility and for inclusion. Yes, I love that so much. And it was such a privilege talking to you. I know we learned a lot about each other, and I definitely want to keep in touch. Yeah, thank you so much. The work you're doing is so cool. Thank you. It was an honor. Thank you for reaching out to me. Uh, I enjoyed our conversation. I am looking forward to being friends with you. Huge thank you to all my guests. I've had so much fun meeting all these girl bosses in STEM. Of course, thank you for listening. Reminding y'all to stay healthy, stay happy, stay safe. Reach out to me if you want to chat or just to say hi. I also put up an email. It's weareallqueenspod at gmail.com. Go follow all these lovely ladies and definitely follow this pod to stay updated on the series. 
As always, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, leave a review. It honestly makes me so happy to receive your feedback. Before I forget, for all of y'all who celebrate Thanksgiving, have a good one. Have a safe one. Make sure you are surrounding yourself with loved ones and prioritizing your mental health. The virus can be scary. Just know that I am here for you. With that being said, this has been the Women in Tech episode, and I'll see you on the 30th of November.